So if you look at the companies that are impacting our lives the most, it is this innovation startup sector. And what we saw as a challenge was that it used to be this very closed world of the big guys have access. Your biggest venture funds were funding a lot of these startups. And that's that kind of misconception around the big guys have access and the small guys don't. And that's still very much true now. But what's happened over the last 10 years is we've seen incredible growth in this market, that you have unicorns being founded every day. But it's not just the venture funds and the founders. You now have hedge funds. You have public market investors, this concept of family office that are now active within the space. Hello and welcome again to the Untold Podcast. Today, we have someone a little bit different, uh, mainly because we've typically interviewed male founders. And there's no other reason for that than they're the ones that have just popped up on our radar. And we've been deliberately trying to be more inclusive. And today we have Rachel from Gateway Private Markets. Rachel's going to tell us a little bit about the problem that she came across um, that led her to setting up uh, what is probably one of the most innovative private markets platforms, uh, certainly that we've seen. Rachel, tell us a little bit more about yourself and about um, Gateway Private Markets. No, thank you, Jonathan. So excited to be here and to be the first, but hopefully one of many yes. uh, female founders. So that's really exciting. Um, look, I'm one of the founders for Gateway Private Markets. I started my career as expected in Asia as an ex-banker. So always- We won't the- hold that against you. <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> I was always in banking, uh, really focusing on supporting corporates uh, in Asia around tapping into capital flows, whether that's equity, debt, managing their cash balances. And so that's an industry I've always been in. But four years ago, so I built my career within banking. Uh, I left in 2012, really with the intention to take a lot of those financial skills I had built and see how I could apply it within actually a world that was evolving very, very quickly outside of the banking industry. And the fastest growing industry that we see now is venture capital. Let me put some context around it. If I ask you, what are the three companies that have probably changed your life the most? What would you say? Uh, I would say Facebook, Google, and probably now OpenAI. Exactly. And I think a lot of people would agree with you. And if you look at the similarities between those three companies, OpenAI is still a startup, fast growing startup. Facebook and Google, they're now public, but they started off within the venture ecosystem. So if you look at the companies that are impacting our lives the most, it is this innovation startup sector. And what we saw as a challenge was that it used to be this very closed world of the big guys have access. Your biggest venture funds were funding a lot of these startups. And that's that kind of misconception around the big guys have access and the small guys don't. And that's still very much true now. But what's happened over the last 10 years is we've seen incredible growth in this market, that you have unicorns being founded every day. But it's not just the venture funds and the founders. You now have hedge funds. You have public market investors, this concept of family office that are now active within the space. And so what we realized uh, when I left banking was the biggest problem is within even the largest institutions in venture capital, they need to more efficiently tap into how to access these companies how to actually get liquidity in companies that historically should have been public. 
and how to basically be efficient in terms of uh, managing those two-way capital flows. And that was the opportunity that we saw and why we opted to ultimately found uh, Gateway Private Markets four years ago. Yeah, it's really interesting you brought up that point because what we see is traditionally the idea of a VC was a very specific type of investor. But as you mentioned, you know, from what I see of startups at the moment, there's family offices, there's hedge funds, people who traditionally you wouldn't have considered to be VCs. Exactly. Exactly. Just to give it a bit of context, right? When we say VC is big, again, we see the companies that we interact with day in, day out. Now, uh, I heard a number that the global VC market is $1.7 trillion. Mm. Let's, let's compare that to something. That's larger than the GDP of Australia today, and it's growing. So you really have a, a market that's so big now, continues to grow, that how you interact, how these different institutions interact with each other you actually need a more fulsome ecosystem to support the capital flows, how to help these founders to grow, how to actually direct money in, money out. Okay, well, let's drill into that uh, a little bit. So as I understand it, it's a platform. You can match founders with uh, money. What else is on there? So you mentioned like help with like business support and these, these, other, these other things. What, what else can the platform do? So... With at Gateway, we have built, uh, or what we see for the market is the creation of an institutional marketplace for global venture capital. And what does marketplace means? It's the same way that you look at any kind of asset class, right? Which is that you need a big network of the right kind of investors, founders, shareholders that are looking to invest in these companies. They're looking to get liquidity. They're looking to actually manage their portfolios. So within our the gateway marketplace, we've actually been building out tools, the infrastructure, so that these participants, your venture funds, your family office, your founders, can actually trust that they can deal together and that they can do so in a very efficient manner. And on the platform itself, uh, at the moment, are there any you know brands we would recognize? A lot, actually. Um, so on the marketplace, we cover actively about 130 global venture companies. Uh, some of the names that you would know well that are very popular now, ByteDance, fantastic example, mm. right? OpenAI, some of the most innovative companies like Impossible Foods, right? We were active in even a lot of the Asian companies like mm. Grab and Gojek before they went public. That's a lot of traction already. Um, what do you think, like getting to this point, how, how long have you been operating now? So we founded the company four years ago. Uh, and been building out an incredible team and just really continue to see an uh, incredible amount of support from our clients and our participants. So about four years now. Yeah. So what I see is it's this is a tech platform in basically the finance business. Everything is screaming out very male-dominated. You must have come across some challenges like getting it set up. A lot. Uh, and I, I don't think it's specific to our business. Every, every founder has faced challenges. I would say that the journey has been, uh, or some of the challenges that we've faced have been both as a business, that we were founded in 2019. So immediately after founding, yeah. we had the protests yeah. in Hong Kong. We had COVID. Yeah. We had FTX, yeah. Silicon Valley Bank, now Credit Suisse. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of you know, pretty meaningful uh, events that had a direct impact on our business, had an impact on our clients and actually how they manage their venture capital portfolios. 
Um, and so that's kind of overarching within the broader business. And so making sure that the tools, how we service our clients, um, really fit within what's happening on a macro level was actually a big challenge. And it continues to be. The world continues to evolve. Judging by the news in the last few weeks, I don't think we're quite settled yet, right? Dust hasn't fully settled. <laughs> hasn't fully settled. But, you know, we don't see it as necessarily a bad thing, right? That we know you still have an incredible amount of companies that are delivering real innovation and value to the world. You know, there was a bit, everyone's talking tech bubble. You know, is there going to be a reset in terms of valuations? When is the money kind of going to be unlocked? We see that we're kind of at that time now. And, you know, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, even though they've now been bailed out, this is a good catalyst for it. And so we actually see this as a positive thing, that you're going to have some great companies that will continue to come to the market, will continue to look for great synergistic uh, investors, but how they can do so efficiently, they need support, right? And so we're going to see over the next, I think, three to six months, this kind of reset in investor and founder expectations. So we're going to bring those tech valuations down to a much more healthier level. And, you know, we really need to kind of shift this mindset around everyone who's active within venture capital, around how they can actually interact together. And, you know, an interesting way to look at it, at what we're doing with our business, it's not that specific to finance. If you looked at when I think Airbnb was founded, if I'd asked you, would you get into a stranger's car Absolutely at that time? Not. Absolutely not. <laughs> right. Would you stay in a stranger's house? Yeah. No. No. Now you have Airbnb. Right. We're facing a similar type of challenge within our business that within uh, venture capital, that trust or that ease in which you can deal with somebody that you don't know within a financial setting. That's kind of where we are. And that's what we're fighting in mm. terms of the roadblocker for the market is this status quo that, you know what, it has to be difficult, that you have a lot of mistrust in the market, that every transaction is very, very complex, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the fundamental thing that uh, what we're building with the gateway marketplace, we're looking to address. Is it oversimplifying to say it's like the eBay of like venture capital? I think it's a fantastic analogy, actually. Um, eBay, Amazon, you know, all these kind of marketplace models, that's exactly what they do, right? Taking your eBay or Amazon example further, you could always buy books. You go down the street, you know, there's five different bookshops, but it's not efficient. It's not easy, right? And what Amazon did was to provide a platform where they brought together all of the best book publishers together. But they also made it easy because it wasn't just about having access to the books. You could have that if you walked to Barnes & Noble, but it was a way that you could read the reviews. You would know that the seller is actually trusted, that they would easily get the book to your doorstep logistically. And then once you have that market, they take it further. They introduce the eBooks. And so that's the evolution that we saw within consumer goods. And that's why um, you know, we see that marketplace model applies very, very well within venture capital as well. So is there an element here of a somewhat of a democratization of capital? I guess like a lot of these uh, deals and uh, venture funding comes from networks, uh, old boys networks, the handshake, the people I worked with, you know, at Goldman, people I worked with at JP, you know, that kind of thing. Do you think that this will kind of open up that marketplace a lot more? I think so. And we already start to see it now in that the number of new participants to the market, you know, some of them that you highlighted before, 
they are not your traditional venture fund players, right? They still play a very important role, but you just have more people coming in. You have private banks, you have family offices. You now have asset managers who are dedicated only to buying existing shares, so the secondary market. And so these are not your traditional players within the venture space. And how these traditional and these kind of new entrants can actually transact together or connect together, it's not natural. It's not easy Mm. without kind of a neutral platform to help facilitate or provide that infrastructure for them to trust and be effectively very efficient in how they deal together. So we talked a lot about the venture side and the capital side. What about, you know, for the startups and for founders? Like, what's the experience like? You know, that's a, that's a really great question. So we had uh, the incredible experience of working with a founder who had built out a global unicorn headquartered in the U.S. And so they had offices in the U.S., Asia, Europe. He had actually delivered. He had built this incredible communications unicorn that was valued at over a billion dollars. So he delivered the value he was supposed to to his shareholders. And a lot of those were some of the largest financial institutions. Great. The challenge was for himself as a founder, the company was still private. For himself, for his executive team, they had no access to liquidity. And so that's a big challenge because you're really talking about people make you know, incredible sacrifices, the time, the blood, sweat, and tears to build this business. They're successful and they have no access to liquidity. And we hear this often. You know, you have a lot of equity value, but you can't afford your mortgage, can't send your kids to school, to a private school. And so that's a big challenge, right? Um, And so how do you actually open up that capital that still maintains the alignment, that the founders are still very much aligned to building the business? You have continued support from your shareholders, but you're able to actually have some liquidity in a fundamentally still private business. That's something that we see that trend starts to open up. In Asia, it's still very, very early in terms of how to do that, the mindset around it's okay for some of those founding teams to have a little bit of liquidity and maintain alignment. And that's going to be, you know, that needs to change in order for this market to actually continue to grow. So if I was to, this is a tricky question, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have a, a marketplace, which is a network value proposition. So on how would you say the value prop is, how would you articulate the value proposition in like a sentence for investors? So if I had to put it in one line, I would say that we are building specialized tools and infrastructure so that any institution can transact with trust and efficiency within global venture capital. Okay. So you mentioned that you started in 2019, there were all of these like headwinds, okay? But you found success, there's traction. So what do you think is happening right now in this moment, in this kind of zeitgeist that is driving you kind of forward, that's getting you to like, you know, the the next big thing? The interesting thing is actually over the past few years, the venture market was very hot, that you had At some point, I think you had a unicorn being created every day in China. And there was a lot of exits. The IPO market was booming. It was, you could create a startup, you knew you would be able to list it, you'd have an exit, and the post-IPO performance would continue to support that. So in a time when the markets are hot, a lot of the pain points or a lot of the fundamental questions aren't that apparent. Now, it's the complete opposite. 
right? Public equity markets uh, haven't continued to, you know, continue to have pretty weak performance. So therefore, you don't have a lot of those exits. The access to venture debt, Silicon Valley Bank, it's much smaller than it used to be. And so therefore, you actually have this uh, real need where a lot of the most critical pain points around access to liquidity, so any kind of exit, and a symmetry of information is very, very apparent now. And this is actually a driver that is very supportive for our business because people now realize that you need to actually look into the fundamentals of a company. You need to understand where you're putting your money and how you're actually able to guide those investment decisions, whether you're going in from a fundraising, whether you're going in through a secondary by buying existing shares, that need to have the right kind of connectivity and do your fundamental analysis is more apparent now than it used to be. So this is actually a very, very good driver for our business because people really need to address these pain points. So when someone comes onto the platform, they can, is it like a pitch book type of like data interface where you can like get information on the, on the companies that you're wanting to investigate? As an institutional platform, we actually sit at really the intersection of fin and tech in that we have built now uh, around 500 institutions within our network. And so these in Asia are some of your largest VCs, family office, asset managers, and global banks. You know, this is a, a very traditional network in that sense. How we service them is by, to your point, providing more transparency. That's data around where the market is pricing a particular company. And so that's available through some of our dashboard tools. At the same time, we know that when a founder is looking to raise, when a shareholder is looking for liquidity, how do you actually find the right counterparty? A lot of that is driven by our own internal data analytics. We profile who are the investors that are actually active within fintech. How many of those actually believe in Asia? What's their investing track record? What kind of investor are they? That's the kind of data engine that powers a lot of the, the matching that we do as a platform. And the, the final part is just on the infrastructure. Once you have actually a buyer and a seller who are looking to transact together, how do they actually close? How do they settle? How do they do the due diligence? How do you manage the documents in a company-friendly manner? So those are a lot of the traditional kind of legal execution processes that we've also built into our marketplace. So that could potentially disappoint a lot of advisors, right? Yes, in a sense that you know, the same way you, you look at open AI and, you know, you say, you question whether AI is going to, you know, take away a lot of that creative process. We don't see it quite that way in that a lot of the global banks that we work with, a lot of the intermediaries, they're our clients. We provide them with the right kind of tools, right? Whether that's, uh, you know, a founder that they're representing, we open up this really fragmented network of venture participants for them. We provide them the data so they can advise their clients on how you should think about your pre-IPO fundraising, how you should think about a sale. All of these tools actually we provide to the whole ecosystem. And you know, this is a fundamental belief that we have, is that in order to really build a true ecosystem in venture capital, you actually need to build tools for everybody, the founders, the financial intermediaries, the investors. You cannot capture the market by only servicing one part. And so that's, you know, can be pretty controversial, but that is a fundamental belief that we have to build a true ecosystem. I'm getting chills. <laughs> so, okay, that's great. And I think, you know, you touched very much on my next question, which was, you know, 
what's the kind of innovation in your approach? I think you crystallized that um, really well. And then really it kind of touches on the final question, which is this, the first step is democratization. What's next? The next big, powerful thing that you think will change the future of this business? I would actually say our first problem is creating more efficiency within the institutional market. So just allowing the biggest investors, the biggest founders to transact easily. Actually, the next step is then I would actually call it democratization, opening it up even further. And we know that that naturally means that access to individual investors like ourselves, that's going to be the next big wave. But before you kind of clean the market, make it easier for even the most sophisticated investors to participate, it's very, very challenging to democratize. And that kind of goes to your earlier point. What we're building out is not about automation. It's not so much about digitization. So it's not just the access of the big to small. It's really providing, building the pipelines so that money can flow smoothly. Then it's about opening that up into a democratized state. Then the final stage there, our end goal, right, where we really see this market has to go is ultimately to support a venture company, but all the way from their first founding, so where we were 2019, all the way until their IPO. And that's where everything that we're building is driving towards that vision, that we can create, you know, the fastest growing network of every investor, every shareholder that they need to be interacting with and making it easy for them, easy for them to do that first seed funding fundraising round, easy for them to actually align their employees and give them equity, real participation in the business that they're building together. And then all the way through to actually for those first investors that supported you when you just had an idea, being able to give them back liquidity so that they can do what they do best, continue to support early stage companies. So giving them that that liquidity and really building out that company until you get that successful exit, IPO sale. And that's our vision that we'd like to build out all the tools, the network and the ecosystem to support a company from start to finish. It's great. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank you. We expect to hear, we expect to see you on Bloomberg next, right? They're right outside the door. <laughs> um, no, it's been it's been great, and um, want to leave you with a want to leave you with a thought. And this applies, you know, something I feel very deeply. I'm sure for yourself as well, and probably for a lot of your listeners. Uh, it's this amazing quote by Ben Horowitz in his book, you know, the hard thing about hard things. And he said, you know, startup life, you only experience two emotions: terror and euphoria, both of which are actually enhanced by a lack of sleep. And copious amounts of coffee. Copia. <laughs> and I thought that was one of the best things I've, I've ever heard. Well, it's been great chatting with you, Rachel. And um, I hope that we get to chat soon. Thank you, everyone, for joining. This is a great episode for us. Uh, again, we've got a different side of the story. Basically, someone who's a founder, but also on the money side somewhat, and a platform to match both. So looking forward to catching up with you all again and we'll put up gateway private markets details see you later